Welcome to this episode of Monetizing Your Mental Capital. I'm your host, Will Christensen, and I am super excited. We have Julio De Castro from... Where are you from, Julio? Tell us where you're at. I'm from a city called Barranquilla, which is in Colombia, South America. It's actually the birthplace of the Colombian carnival, which is pretty famous, by the way. Hey, there you go. So lots of partying over there. Yeah, actually, there is February. In February, it goes crazy. Is that yeah? Is that the same carnival that they like in Brazil? Like similar levels of crazy? I mean, we technically we compete with the Brazilian carnivals, but but they're light speed ahead. Mm, got it. Yeah, I, I served a two year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints in Brazil, and Carnival would come out, and all the missionaries because we're a bunch of nineteen year old boys. It, it was like. Yeah, and you guys get to stay in your apartment for a week. And we're like, wait, what? Why are we staying? And literally, we didn't know at the time what was going on out there. But then we'd start to ask around and be like, why? What's this carnival? And we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to stay in our apartment. Because we're like there to preach Jesus. And they're definitely not doing the Jesus thing for a week (laughs) in Brazil. So it it was exciting. It was exciting. So, okay, tell me a little bit about who you are. Where where are you working now? What What do you do, Julia? I mean, just a little bit of background. I studied industrial engineering and started working across like a production plants and stuff like that. I started getting a little bit bored and being on the high heat, sort of speak, and went into sort of more administration jobs and then did my MBA and did my whole focusing on finance. Okay. I did a couple of management, financial management jobs and a little about Less than two years ago, I had the opportunity on getting into e-commerce, being the CFO of a big uh, e-commerce seller. Okay. And right now, I'm working as a fractional CFO for a bookkeeping and CFO services company. Beautiful. Okay. So it it started out in industrial finance or industrial design? Industrial engineering, sort of like production planning, sort of logistics. Interesting. Yeah. So it is that, and and so take me back. What you know, you went to school for industrial engineering then? No, here in Colombia we go to like general elementary school and high school, and you don't, you can't work after you get to high school. You have to go to the university or to a technical college. So I actually went to the university. I studied engineering. I also did a math major, and I did industrial engineer. The reason I did industrial engineering is because I wanted to go to the US to study. I actually went on a tennis scholarship to study mechanical engineering, but I had a shoulder injury. I went to the University of Miami oh. and I had to come back. Shoulder injury just took you right out. Yeah, I actually have two surgeries on my right shoulder. Man, well, so you went on a tennis scholarship. That's totally cool. All right, so what made you decide so, so you wanted to go to the U.S. to study, and that's kind of why you went industrial engineering. You, that you felt like that would open the door to to head that direction. That's what kind of shifted you towards that knowledge route. No, so I I love mechanics. I went to mechanical engineering, but when I came back, I, I mean, the mechanical engineering program here was not that good at that time. So I just mm. wanted to study the best there was, and the best program there was was industrial engineering. So that's why I went to industrial. Engineering. So. And the whole, th- this episode is about monetizing your mental capital, right? It's about 
understanding what are the nuggets of knowledge inside our minds that could be turned into dollars one day. And, and so digging into that just a little bit, that was the best there was. Does, th- does that mean that on the tail end of it, you'd be able to get the best job there was? Is that kind of what you were putting together there? Yeah, I think I think my country is very, very competitive on that on a de- degree standpoint. So it in what you're saying is correct. I mean, you have to have the best degree in order to get the best job. So that was what I was aiming for. Okay. And tell me, did you get to a place where you had done enough at school or maybe just after when you got your first job, when you were like, you know what, I bet I could do some of this on my own. And you did some side consulting. Like what do you remember the first time you did something like that, not for your employers specifically? So on my first job, I actually was a budget analyst for a window manufacturer, which is very, actually very famous. And they also, I, I started like helping out doing quotation software. I, I used to program in Visual Basic and they were like, yeah, I mean, you can do it on your own time. And I was like, no, hey, you have to pay for pay me for it. And, and they were like, oh, no, but let's do something else. I mean, maybe we can give you a pizza at the end of the week or something. And, and I was like, no, sorry. So started looking other ways where I could actually grow and continue doing sort of like consulting that way in that like systems way. Interesting. So they were like, Hey, we would like access to that knowledge and we'll trade you a pizza for that (laughs) knowledge. And you were like, sorry, I don't actually do work for pizzas. So if if you want, if you want access to that knowledge, you're going to have to pay some moolah. And they were like, yeah. And so that's kind of what, what prompted you to be like, you know what, I'm going to go do some of this consulting. I bet there's people who will pay me for this. Correct. Correct. And I, and I actually did some consulting, like building small, little small software doing visual basic. I mean, I, I, I didn't study systems engineering, but I really loved programming in visual basic at the time. Interesting. So what was it? It was that moment when they were like, you know, Hey, we have this. And you were like, wait a minute, what I could build for you would actually be of real value. Was that, was that kind of that moment that clicked on Like I have, yeah. I have monetizable knowledge here. Yeah, correct. I mean, so that company at that time had about 1500 employees. And if I would have worked significantly on my time building some software to help quotations over, they would probably let go at least 10% of the workforce. Holy crap. So, uh, and they wanted to trade a pizza for that? Yeah. I mean, they, I say pizza, but they were like, hey, so if you stay late, we, you can order some food and we'll pay for the taxi home. They were like that. <laughs> and we'll pay for the taxi. Okay. Taxi home and pizza, and we then get to let go 10% of our workforce. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. a fair trade. Yeah, okay, I'm seeing <laughs> I'm seeing that. Okay, so I love that. What If you look back on that moment of recognizing I have monetizable knowledge here, I have a skill that I can sell to someone else, what questions do you think you could ask yourself to identify additional skills like that? So the main thing is, you have to ask yourself like, hey, why are they asking me to do this? I mean, I'm not the systems guy. Why don't they ask the systems guy to do it? So then then you start doing that question again, like, hey, maybe maybe they don't want to pay someone else. They just want to use me for free. So you get like, I mean, you start getting some, I mean, it's not like being a, making a strike or anything or, or becoming part of the union or something. I mean, but you have to sometimes say, 
if stuff is fair or not. I was making a little bit more than minimum wage at the time. Got it. So you looked at it and said, you know what? I am seeing that the knowledge I have is worth something to someone else. Like it was that obvious, like there's a value exchange here. And so you, it, you know, it clicked. I have monetizable knowledge. You said you picked up some small consulting gigs. How did you pick those up just out of curiosity? So, I mean, I always, in college, I used to actually, I was pretty good in college. So I used to get some money just like helping, helping other students do their, the research product projects and, and stuff like that, helping them with their with their homework. So so I did pretty good connections. And after I was working, they were also working and I was like, hey, what are, what else are you doing? And and everything in the world is connections nowadays. Interesting. So just tapping and and I think that's fascinating. You created a, a network and so you actually had monetizable knowledge even earlier than this experience where you were in school and you were like, wait a minute, I am so good at this research and homework thing. I could get paid to do research and homework. And and you just started talking to your friends and they were like, dude, could you help me out? And you were like, for a price? <laughs> yeah, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> it's almost the same. I mean, they're paying you for, for your time. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's time plus that knowledge, right? So you identified, and interestingly enough, it may have been, so So maybe you were asking yourself a question like, what am I so good at that other people would pay me to help them do it? Like, what, what am I doing that has enough value that another person's like, oh my gosh, I need, I need Julio's help here. It's quite interesting you say that because the other day I was, I was reading a book and they were like, you shouldn't do what you love. You should do what you're good at. And that's the first question you should do. What am I good at in order for me to actually monetize what I, to actually make money? What am I best at in the world? Yeah, correct. I mean, I love tennis. I would have loved to be a tennis player. I probably could have been top 5,000, probably, which is, it's not that good. But I, I know deep inside me that I couldn't have been top 10. But I really love tennis. So, I mean, I'm not going to say like, yeah, I want to dedicate myself on that. Yeah. Well, and, and interestingly enough, even though you did dedicate there and you had the opportunity to go and do the tennis thing, you know, there, there in Miami, and then all of a sudden, obviously that fell through and um, you had to come back. Interesting, you know, had you been one of those people was in those top 10 and you'd been that good, maybe there would have been a way for you to continue with that. But obviously that the world's shifting. So, okay. So fast forward in your career a little bit. What happened next? Where where did you go after you left the window manufacturer? So after after this company, actually, we didn't have any conflict or anything, but they they were sort of like wanting to exploit a little bit more my talent, so to speak. So I I started looking for other jobs, and I got into the mining sector, mining coal mining sector. I went to a very very good company that's called Pacific Coal, which is from a network of companies called Pacific Rubiales, which is a stock exchange in New York and Canada at the moment. And I went as finance coordinator. So within all that time, I was like, I want to switch to finance because I don't like this thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And I got that opportunity and started just building financial models for huge companies. I mean, HMine has a $400 million budget each year and everything is very millimetrical everywhere. Single grams, single 
waste a single person dollar per R&D, stuff like that. And I actually love to do to do like really complex finance models in Excel. So, okay. So I love that you, and I think that's an upscaling thing, you know, for, for Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers who are listening and they're looking at their current skill set, right? And they're saying, okay, what am I so good at that somebody else would pay me for? You actually went a step farther and you said, okay, what am I so good that someone else would pay me for? Because you realize like this guy is still trying to get more out of me and not pay me more. I found that too. I, I had uh, a company where I kept going back to them being like, you're going to have to pay me another $5,000 a year. You're going to have to pay me another $10,000 a year. You're going to like, I kept having to go back to them and be like, look, I get that you only do a raise every, you know, every year, but you're either going to give me a raise or I'm going to start looking because I've looked at my skill set and here's what it's worth on the market, right? Like I, I was constantly evaluating what is my monetizable knowledge worth to the world. And, and I think you similarly went in and looked at that knowledge and said, you know what, this is, this is monetizable elsewhere. Correct. So as you did that, you decided, okay, the way I'm going to bring in more money, more monetization of my skill set is I'm going to go find another buyer. I'm going to go find somebody else who buyer. wants to buy by that time. Correct, correct, correct. And the mining, the mining business is, I mean, they pay really well. So I, I was really well paid. And the, like the work environment was really nice. But I mean, to tell the truth, I was still hungry. I mean, there is like a threshold where how much you can make if you have no master's or doctorate or anything. So I started looking for for MBAs. I started looking for finance specialization, stuff like that. And I actually got a, a scholarship from a UK university and left my job and went, went to UK for a couple of years. Interesting. So as you looked at it, you said, okay, I'm going to monitor. I need to go a, a step deeper. I got to level up. So if I'm an Amazon seller and I'm looking at me at my nuggets of knowledge, maybe there's a nugget that you're like, you know what? That could be way more valuable if I could find somebody to upscale it. If I could find somebody to take that knowledge and turn it into something more. So, you know, is there a university with a class or a degree that you could get that would turn that nugget into a gold mine? to actually become something more. And, and that's what you decided to do. I'm going to take the nugget of knowledge I have, turn it into a gold mine by digging in with this university. Is that that's what it taking sounds like? Your, taking your analogy and making an example out of it, I actually have a couple of clients that, that they have ad agencies and they've had them the same ad agency for a couple of years. And they actually don't understand any word the ad agency tells them. And that's something that, I mean, you might not be good at ads, but I mean, at least get a course to understand what, what they're talking about. Wait, that, so these guys work for the ad agency and they don't understand anything the ad's doing? No, no, I mean, I mean, they're Amazon sellers and they hire an ad agency. Ah, uh, got it. They're hiring an ad agency, but they yeah. still, like the ad, the ad agency is saying one thing and they're like, I have no idea what they do. I just pay Correct, them. correct. So that's one of the things that I actually do with my clients. I actually... Tell them, hey, let's meet with me and the ad agency so I can see if you actually understand what they're saying. Got it. Got it. You kind of, and that's interesting as well, right? You've you've identified that I speak ad ease, if we're calling that a language, <laughs> right? I speak the language of ads and I can actually ask them some questions that'll tell us whether or not they're actually making you money or whether or not you're just paying through the nose for somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. Correct. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So- as you looked at that, 
that journey of becoming, you know, an expert who speaks at ease, who's now, and there's a, there's a, a piece of your journey we're going to come back to where you dove into the e-commerce world after your jaunt to the UK and back. Tell us what, what roadblocks have you seen along the way in terms of monetizing knowledge or, or upscaling that knowledge? I mean, some of the roadblocks, I mean, might be just like life. I mean, I, I, I was doing very, very well and then got married. Not that I'm unhappy because I, I was married, but but I mean, it's easier to actually build success being completely alone. And I mean, then you have to have a little bit more time with family and stuff like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my family. I love being part of a family, love my kids. But I know for a fact that if I would have been alone, I would have monetize my capital more than what I've done today. Interesting. Well, and, and I think it sounds like you decided to put an investment into another bucket, into a family bucket. And and hopefully, you know, as you continue to withdraw from the family bucket and it grows, I know I'm in the same boat. I got married and I have two kids and I find the investment of time, you know, I, I watch my grandparents and they've all got you know, six to eight kids and, you know, lots of grandkids and they invested enough time in their family that when they got into that age of like, I'm no longer needing to make money, I'm retired, you know, I'm, I'm in that boat. That's when they started getting a lot of that payoff um, on the family right. end of things. So it's, it's kind of interesting because you give up some monetary value in exchange for, you know, an intangible asset in the long run. It would be actually interesting to do the finance exercise in the net present value, so to speak, with that mm, exact example. Man, that would be a really, someday we're going to start a podcast where we just interview grandparents and find out like, how much is, how much is that grandkid worth to you? What would you say? Would you say, I mean, would you give him up for 50 grand or like, <laughs> and they'd be like, they're priceless. There's no way I'd give or give up. You know, that would be interesting to try to figure out how to quantify for sure. <laughs> What other roadblocks did you see in monetizing your knowledge? So time and and time allocation and honestly choosing to put a family first, that can be a roadblock to monetizing knowledge. What else? Um, I mean, I feel that not taking advantage of actual opportunities at the time can be seen as roadblocks, but also... Let me see how I can phrase this. Maybe knowledge, like things you didn't know that you wish you'd known. Yeah, correct. Yes. So, correct, yeah. so there's a know-how aspect, and I actually you you've you've segued nicely. We're going to I'm going to ask you a question that actually identifies some of that knowledge. So we're not going to dig into that right now. Any <laughs> other roadblocks that you know? Not so knowledge that you gain in the future that you'd wish you'd had in the past. That's definitely a roadblock. What other roadblocks? Any any others that you can think of? maybe a little bit of the mindset. I mean, maybe if you don't get some opportunity, maybe you get too fixated on the not having too much luck on maybe they they sort of cheated onto giving someone else the opportunity. I feel today that I'm really, really tough mentally in that aspect, but maybe before I didn't have that and probably lost a little bit of time. Mm. So because of your lack of mental toughness, you had some moments where the mindset was not, you were not spot on in terms of your mindset. So you didn't capitalize on every opportunity that came across your plate because you weren't mentally tough enough for the situation to act in your best interests. Correct. Yes, I think. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. And that mental toughness, I think sometimes is 
it's about understanding your true limitations versus the limitations you put on yourself mentally, right? I think that's where, for me, that's, you know, when, I, when you talk about mental toughness, if I get into a sticky situation, do I blame the situation? Do I blame myself? Do I blame neither and step above the situation? Where do I go with that? Right. Right. Okay. So here's that segue question. If you could make a phone call back to Julio while he's in college and he's doing, he's literally studying on behalf of other students, helping them with their homework, doing the tutor thing. And he's also doing some small projects. If you could call that guy and be like, okay, here's the thing. You're going to monetize knowledge basically your whole life. Here's what you're missing. Here's the nugget that you should have known before. And, and this is this is Julio from the future. What would you tell him? Wow, that's a cool question. I mean, there are so many things that I could tell him. But I mean, to, to get in the rhythm of this podcast, I would suggest to Julio to study e-commerce at that time. I mean, I, I, I graduated college probably 14 years ago. I mean, it was in the very growth of e-commerce i think if i if i would have been a fractional cfo at that time i, I mean I, I would have knocked it out of the park interesting so dig into e-commerce now so you'd give him some industry insight industry insight, yeah okay we, i like it insider, I like insider it. trading you can call it as well insider trading i like it okay and i think what's interesting julio is had you done an exercise of actually, and I, and I find myself this way too, when I look at markets that I'm going to get into, I often go with the things I'm most passionate about versus the things that I know are going to grow the most, right? Like, I mean, e-commerce is not obviously the sexiest thing in the entire world when it comes to what's there, but money's great. So like, if you consider the, the idea 14 years ago, I mean, that that's... Uh, Let's see, it's 2023 now. So that's 2009. Is that, yeah. am, I, am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, so in 2009, people weren't, you know, they were buying online to some degree or another, right? Like Amazon was a thing, you, you know, and we had a, a fair amount of that going on. But I remember in, in that time, I remember often cautioning my grandma, do not put your credit card in anything that's not Amazon, <laughs> right? Like it was like it, Shopify. Yeah, no, you do not. I don't care what it says. It, it is not safe. And now like I'll put my credit. If does it have a little lock symbol up there? Yeah, that looks pretty good. I can dispute this if it goes crazy. You know, my, my credit cards going in places that I would never have put it in back then because you'd always heard about some joker who'd been taken advantage of and looked at. But if we really sat down and think about it and you'd done an analysis of like, where's the world really going to go? I wonder if you could have identified that e-commerce was going to be as big as it could have been. Because for me, I went and chased the things that I thought I was most passionate about, not necessarily where I saw the most money. So I think taking a, a deep breath and looking, you know, hey, dude, Julio from the past or you right now, right? If you're a, an Amazon seller and you're trying to decide what, where to monetize, look at the need and look at the future need right? Like, is this going to explode? Yeah, correct. I mean, so, so, I mean, I'm regarding the passionate part of your previous comment. I feel that I'm passionate on optimizing or growing what I advise on. 
what I love about e-commerce is that it is such a millimetrical business that you have to really put it in in order to actually make it profitable. That being said, I want to also highlight a parenthesis there that it was much easier to be profitable in e-commerce 10 years or 12, 14 years ago than nowadays. Now it is very, very, very hard. But I mean, I also consult on different sectors of other type of companies as well. I do mm-hmm. fractional CFO, so to speak, uh, in other sectors. But e-commerce is the one that gets back like, hey, this is like pretty cool. Hey, let's do this. I mean, you're not looking at that. Let's drop here. Let's increase their stuff, stuff like that. Cool. Any other words of advice for young Julio as he's just beginning his monetization of knowledge journey? <laughs> Get married quicker. <laughs> I actually have 15 years with my current wife, but as, as wife and girlfriend, but I only got married six years ago. So I would have loved being married sooner, getting having mm. kids sooner so that I could actually have my time right now with grown up kids. Interesting. So your advice would be get married sooner, invest. That's actually interesting. If we talk about that from a monetization standpoint, your advice really is, wow, you should have invested earlier in family so that you could be on a little more of the payout side of that now. Because right now you're doing a lot of investing. So if I'm guessing, and I I think I remember you telling me that your kids are pretty young right now. What's the age range? Four and 10 months. Four and 10 months. So yeah, you're not sleeping right now either. There's a lot of investment going into those kids at the moment. And had you started earlier, maybe you'd be at a point where it's not quite as much investment on that side of the equation. So, I mean... To get to a little bit of a point there, it is a different career choice, like being a finance guy to being a programmer. Being a very young programmer, people actually see like the value, hey, let's exploit this finance eh, eh, programmer. Mm-hmm. But being a finance guy, being very young, people are going to be like, no, this guy hasn't been around long enough to actually consult this type of thing. I now am in sort of like an age... I. Probably when I'm a little bit older, I'll, I'll be a little bit more confident for the cl- on the client side. But but I think nowadays I can prove a little bit more of a point that I know what I'm talking about instead of me at 25 or something. Interesting. So invest earlier in family because that means that the... Because I'm at a stage where I've got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And they're, they're, that's I don't have anybody who's younger. And my wife and I have talked about, we, we've been wanting more, but that just hasn't been in the in the cards. And so the youngest has gotten older and older and old, and man, is she taking advantage of being the baby? She's still like, she's six years old and she's still like, dad, will you make me toast? Like, and she totally gets away with it. We're like, oh yeah, you're the baby. We'll totally make you toast. Right? Like <laughs> she's, she's totally milking that for all it's worth. And it's interesting because you're right. There's not as much time investment from a standpoint of like, I'm not changing diapers. I'm not, you know, up in the middle of the night, eh, maybe once a week, you know, but I remember when they were in the thick of it, it was like every other day. And 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 I mean, they play by themselves at that age. I mean, mine, my daughter is sometimes knocking my, my office door. It's like, Hey, come play with me. Come here. Come play. I don't want to play by myself. Something like that. Yep. A hundred percent hear you there. So on this note of like, 
earlier in your career, earlier in your knowledge versus later in your knowledge, would you give Julio advice about which part of the skill set to focus on? Like focus on the programming part earlier and then shift to the CFO later because of the age stigma, like a young programmer seems like they're just as valuable as an old programmer versus a young programmer and an old CFO or a young CFO and an old CFO. Any, any advice around that? That's actually a good question. I mean, I, I mean, I don't have a definite answer. I, I think if I would have to choose, I would choose the whole programmer part first. That's the best advice. Those old programmers, though, sometimes they're a little bit of a stick in the mud. It's hard to get them up over the fence to try the new thing or to look at it. I, I think if I'm looking at it myself, I'd choose an old programmer to give me advice, but I'd want a young programmer to do. And young is relative, right? Two or three years of experience. But uh, the older programmer is much harder to like in, in this AI world. I'd choose a programmer who has two to three years of experience over one who's got 15 I've, I've had experience with some of them who have 15 years of experience and AI scares them. And so there's a, there's an interesting, like depends on the task, right? Yeah, depends right. on what you, so if you're younger, focus on the newest technology and the newest things that are there, because you're going to be better at adopting those. And as you get older, focus on the piece that you have the most experience with because people will respect you and you'll have that time. Interesting progression. Yeah, nailed it there on the summary. <laughs> All right. So love that. Now, anything else that you can think of that you would that you'd wish you'd known before you started your journey of monetizing your knowledge? I mean, I think I, I said it all there. I mean, I, I could I could say a couple of silly things, invest in Apple, invest in Tesla, <laughs> uh, invest in Uber and then take out the money when it uh, never <laughs> worked. <laughs> oh, Julio, you're so you're reminding me of Back to the Future, right? <laughs> like, like you know, he drops that almanac, it, you know, and, and the guy becomes a uh, uh, Biff becomes the guy yeah. who owns everything because he he has the insider knowledge of all the scores of all the games and everything else that comes with that. That's hilarious. Love that. All right, so let's finish your story here. You got to UK. You got to the UK. You did your MBA. And then what, what from there? Well, I mean, I actually went with my current wife, then girlfriend. Uh, I mean, uh, I returned because of some health issues. I The cold weather actually burns my skin or something. So I actually, and the, the health system there, it isn't my thing. I mean, here in Colombia, we have a little bit more personalized. I mean, it's much better. So I had to return to get some doctor's appointments and then... I didn't want to go there again because then it was going to be winter again and I didn't want to go. So we returned here and I and I returned to the mining sector for a couple of years and then started switching sectors to see what where I could find a little bit of passion. I mean, I did do finance manager, finance and administration director on a couple of big projects, then switched to the shipping sector, logistics, and I had a a cool call with a guy called Brian Krieger who needed a CFO e-commerce. I told you, Hey, I don't know. I, the only thing I know about Amazon is I buy in Amazon every month or two. And he like, Hey, don't worry. I'll teach you everything I know. And I quit and uh, he hired me as a CFO, huge experience. I mean, he's very good friends with me still. He was a top 1000 Amazon seller, which is, 
I mean, a huge deal. And I learned so much. I think that probably 80% of what I know today, I, I owe to him. That's awesome. So there's another piece of advice to young Julio. Find Brian faster. <laughs> Brian, yeah. <laughs> there's this guy I want you to go look up. Yeah. And and even, you know, if you're in that road of monetizing knowledge, I would say that find that mentor faster. Find somebody who is monetized knowledge that you want to monetize and ask them for help. You'd be surprised how often people are open to doing that. Actually, a pretty good idea. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so then the thing with with Brian ended and how did you end up? I think that's where you shifted from there to here, right? To seller accounted. Yeah, so Brian actually exited the business late uh, last year. He had, I mean, 370 products online. He had 13 categories. He had three top selling categories, front page one, number one position, best selling rank. And he exited the business late last year. And he's actually good friends with Tyler. So he just suggested me to Tyler. And we did the whole interviewing process with his people. And he, I mean, he messages me a lot like, hey, you didn't get into seller accounting because of recommendation. It was just, you did it yourself, sort of talk. I love it. Well, I know Tyler well, and he has great, he, I, I was actually, Tyler and I chat every two weeks or so just hanging out. And I remember when he heard about you and he was, he was asking me questions about it. Like we, we chat as entrepreneurs often and he had good things to say about you then as well. So hundred uh, percent. Okay. So for the, for the last part of our episode here, we're going to give you the opportunity to step into the elevator with an Amazon seller and you're going to have 60 seconds and I'm literally going to time you I'll, and I'll like, eh, you know, when you run out of your, your 60 seconds, you're going to have 60 seconds to be like, I'm a CFO and this is why we're awesome. Or, or this is why you should probably reach out to me after listening to this episode. Right after that, you're going to share any tips, tricks, hacks, or books that you've come across that have been like, wow, that really helped in upscaling my knowledge or going to that next level. So sure. you have officially stepped into that elevator and you have one minute. Hey, Will, I, I heard you're a seven-figure Amazon seller. I That's was right. I was wondering if you would like to become a seven-figure or eight-figure Amazon seller. You probably are a little bit stuck in the seven-figure business. And just so you know, I mean, there are only a couple of hundred sellers that actually sell more than $20 million a year. I would have the knowledge and the expertise to help you get to the next level. This is actually some expertise that very few people have in the world, and I can help you share and live the dream with you. Wow. You still have like 20 seconds, dude. And I'm in. I, I've hired, you know, yes, I want to be an eight-figure seller. Um, well done, sir. All right. Tips, tricks, hacks, or books. I mean, I, I, I'm I actually in a process of actually reading 50 books a year. I'm actually right now in like number 20 this year. It's actually a, a three-year term of, of actually getting to the 52 books a year, but that the last book I've read is great by choice. Jim Collins is pretty good book. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's the best book that I've read, but books that actually inspired me, maybe Chris Voss getting to yes, maybe Mark Miller, the secret of teams. And there's one that I actually like made me like get up in the morning and go to the gym. Mel Robbins, any book by Mel Robbins 
any one book called Lessons of a Third Grade School Dropout by Rick Rigsby. I mean, amazing book to actually inspire you to to do things. Hey, wait. So I, you got to go back to the one that gets you out of bed and gets you to the gym. What was that one called? It's The Five Second Rule. The by Five Mal- Second Rule. I have officially written that book down and I will be, my wife's going to think I'm a freaking rock star after I read this because I'll, uh, five second rule. I love it. I've written that one down. Any other apps, tips, tricks, or, I mean, I I think you've done a fantastic job. Any others that you want to share? Any other books? I mean, anything from Patrick Lencioni. I mean, anything, I mean, if you like to get inspired, anything from the autobiographies of Walter Isaacson are very, very good. I'm reading the the Elon Musk one. I mean, it's very captivating. Love it. Any tools that you productivity tools that you're like, man, everybody's got to have this. Any of those that are coming to mind? I mean, I, I really use for my personal stuff any Kanban tool that you can make like a status of what you have to do and what process are you in, and just like really yeah, trying. like a Trello. Yeah, Trello, Trello. Trello is a great. If you have not tried the Kanban process yet, Trello on your phone is a great place to go to begin with it. They make it so simple. And and we had like, I've done all sorts of different to-do lists um, in there. And there's hundreds of others that are out there, but Trello is a good starting place. It's a free one. So love that, Julio. How can our listeners get in touch? Assuming we have any seven-figure sellers that want to be eight-figure sellers and they want to reach out, what's the best way to get in touch? I mean, I'm going to leave my LinkedIn page. You can contact me anytime you want. You can get to Seller Accountant website as well if you want some bookkeeping services or you want a free consultation. Beautiful. Well, well uh, so that's sellerraccountant.com. No spaces or anything like that, right? Or anything. Seller Accountant. You, you heard it from the man himself, a fractional CFO in his own right. Appreciate everybody joining us on this episode of uh, Monetize Your Mental Capital. Thanks, Julia, for joining us. Thanks, Will. Bye-bye, everybody.